For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Anne She Spoke podcast. Today, we had a wonderful conversation with Erica Corday. Erica is an entrepreneur and certified coach whose work is focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and promotes imperfect allyship. She has dedicated her life to expanding how others interact with the world through powerful conversations. This work has taken her into communities and onto the national stage as a speaker and an educator. Erica has such an unusual background for a DEI coach, but one that has set her up to be a fantastic DEI coach, and that is the beauty industry. She has worked for many years in beauty and owns an inclusive beauty salon called Silver Immersion. She's also the co-host of a fantastic podcast called uh, Pause on the Play, where they talk about company culture, visibility, mindset, and so much more. She is one of those special, special people that makes you feel so comfortable to open up and talk to, which is so important in her DEI work. So let me introduce you now to Erica Corday. Okay, well, welcome, Erica, to the podcast. We are so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Erica, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with your work, do you want to just give us a one-minute overview of who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, My name is Erica Corday. I am a DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion coach and consultant. I do my work a little bit differently just because of the fact that so much of 
anything around anti-racism, diversity, just the world that we live in today can sometimes make people feel very nervous, apprehensive, because shame and blame often come up. I don't do things in that way. I really focus from a place of being shame and blame free from me. And imperfect allyship is the goal. The goal is for you to be in action and to know that this is not about you being perfect. It is simply about you being willing to expand, to be better, and to just keep moving forward. So there's a little backstory here that you skipped over. You have a second and first business. Can you tell us about that? (laughs) I have a lot of backstory. (laughs) So... What I do really does start with my first business, which I still own, which is Silver Immersion. And I've, let me step back, I've been in the beauty industry for well over 20 years. I'm a senior cosmetologist, which basically means I'm a hairstylist and a counselor all in the same person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I started doing hair and really didn't realize how much what I do really did put me in a place of people feeling comfortable with me, talking to me about who they were and how they showed up and how it impacted their lives. And so me owning this business that then went into a place of really being about on-site services. So I do a lot of work with weddings. And that was where our imperfect allyship really showed up. The business really does a lot to support LGBTQIA couples. And so when marriage equality became a thing, we really changed a lot of our messaging to let these couples know that we not only supported them, but we advocated for them. So me stepping into a place of having an an entire group of people whose love I thought should be centered was something that I really focused on. And I ended up realizing that, wait, this whole coaching thing, now I know what it is. I've been doing this, but I haven't been getting paid for it. So how can I change that? And so I began my training and I learned more about not only what coaching was, but how it really did take a certain type of person to be able to listen and to be able to hear people in a way that they felt seen and heard and valued. And so I carried that into what I do now because I learned what it was to see and to hear the things that people don't even always recognize for themselves. And they don't always realize how this can change, how willing they are to be visible, how willing they are to show up, not only to support others, but first and foremost, to take care of themselves. And so that's why for me, uh, another huge part of what I do is taking care of the whole human. It's not just Mm -hmm. this one aspect. It's all pieces. I think this this transition from beauty stylist into coach consultant is so fascinating. Years ago, I took a, I think it was like a two-year program in energy healing. And the gentleman that ran it, I remember he said that he was going to write a whole book on style, hairstylists who work with people in the chair, the ones that are successful, he said, those are the ones that are natural born healers. And he said, it, they work very close to the, the crown chakra, obviously, right? And I was like, what? What? And, and I th- started thinking about my stylist and my relationship with her, and it just all made sense. So when I read your background, I'm like, oh, like that is a very small leap from what you do for all these years, right, to actually creating a business of coaching and consulting. So did you have to, so what, what did that look like? Like, when did you have that moment of like, you know, just what you explained, that realization that I need to go and do this as well? What was that moment like? I think it was something that I knew for a while and I just, I don't know if I was reluctant or I was nervous or maybe there was that part of me that 
was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Am I letting go of what I am currently doing? And I learned that it didn't have to be an either or. And so it was probably around 2017 when it really was like, okay, I think this needs to happen. And so I started to do my research because a lot of people will pick up the term coach and there isn't any type of actual certification, any learning, nothing behind it. And so I didn't want to bring that energy in. And I didn't even think about the whole crown chakra thing until you said it. I'm like, that makes sense, doesn't it? And so I basically started in 2018, really diving in intentionally. And so at that point, I'm doing coursework and really deciding what does it look like to work with people? What feels good to me? What are the things that I feel like I really have something to bring? Because I didn't want to do it just to do it. I wanted it to actually benefit people. I wanted it to have substance to it. And part of, I think, what stands out about the philosophy that you and Jenny have is that there are pieces that aren't always about the degree, so to speak, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. so it was really important for me to know that I was bringing all of the knowledge that I had over the years of how to interact with people into how I coached. And so that empathetic piece that I didn't even know was a thing I brought in. It's a big thing. So was it, did you, was it always clear that it was going to be DEI? No, (laughs) it was not. I didn't realize until it was kind of brought to my attention that this wasn't something that I liked. It was a part of how I lived my life. It came up in the sense of, again, us really wanting to focus on couples when it came to marriage equality. My husband is white, which means that my kids are half black and half white. So there's that actual lived experience. Having had a mother who my grandmother during um, the civil rights time, you know, she could pass to get in places where my mother and aunts and uncles could not. Um, I've lived a life that really was about inclusion. And I didn't intentionally know what that was. It simply was how I existed in the world. And so when it came up, it was like, duh, that makes perfect sense because that's how I exist. It's how I do things. It's not an extra piece for me, which is why when I work with people, it's not about DEI being this extra. This is about how does this fuse into everything that you do. So I'm so curious about how that process looks when when you work with clients. Can you tell us a little bit about who you work with and how that introduction of that process gets going? Sure. Often they end up being white female business owners. Often they're either solopreneurs or they have smaller businesses. And the benefit of that is very often there's a lot of people that work with corporations or its larger entities. And so smaller uh, solopreneurs or smaller businesses really didn't have as many people talking to them. Mm -hmm. You saw a lot more people that were speaking to individuals. And so I kind of come in in a way of helping people to first start with where your values coming from, what matters to you, what do you stand for, what do you stand against, seeing how that actually shows up in your imperfect allyship? Who are you supporting? Why do you want to support them? How does this show up in buying practices, uh, hiring and maintaining of staff? What does this look like for conversations when difficult things happen in life? Uh, what, is it, what happens when things like the murder of George Floyd come up? 
do you have conversations? And so being able to do that gives me a few different ways that I can work with people. Like I have a community, in which case they're not quite ready to be the one-on-one focus because sometimes, again, it's not an easy thing. So that gives them a place to be able to actually talk with others and be able to be in community and support each other. And that's pause on the play. For myself, one-on-one really looks like you coming in and you being with me when it comes to one-on-one calls on the phone where we're actually working through things. We can do intensives where it's like, okay, let's look at your practices. How are you hiring? Where are you hiring from? One of my favorite ways is actually Voxer because it's like you have me on call. And so when things come up, you're able to, it always makes me think of the old school Nextel. So it's like, and you just have me there. And it gives people a way to know that they're not left on their own until the next call. Because this isn't work that waits, you know, three Mm -hmm. weeks and six days until you talk to me again. So Mm -hmm. it gives people a touch point to know that they're not left on their own and they don't have to, they don't have to hold it. And that they are supported. So that's definitely one of my favorite ways. You talk a lot about imperfect, like imperfect ally, imperfect action. Can you, and that it just like as a white woman, I'm like, oh, thank God. And so can you just talk about why you chose that word and what that means? Absolutely. So when I first started kind of seeing that like, oh, okay, so DEI is kind of where I want to go with this. I remember looking at some of the other people in the uh, anti-racism and DEI space that people that I had known were kind of uh, pulled towards. And I noticed consistently that they wanted to partake in this content and yet they couldn't participate. They're like, I can't say anything. I can't go onto their Instagram page or in their forum or on their face. They're like, I can't say anything in these rooms because then if I say it wrong, I don't want Twitter after me. I can't do these things. And so there was so much apprehension to participate and co-creating or learning in, in tandem with others was not a thing. And so it became really obvious to me that one, that didn't resonate with me because everything that we do in life is about practice. It's about doing something, seeing where you can do better, and then doing it again. And so this concept that's something that has been ingrained in us from generational trauma and experiences from years ago that we may not have anything to do with, and this is just what we were born into, to assume that that is something that can be done with any degree of perfectionism, especially at the beginning, seemed absolutely asinine to me. Mm -hmm. And then to expect someone to do something that's scary and say, yeah, I'm going to beat you up for it, but come on, you have to do this. I'm like, what? Wow. Wait, no. And so I felt like I needed to do this in a way that required people to expand and to do more and to see where they can be better and yet understand that you're not going to be perfect and that's okay. That doesn't mean that This is a license to hurt people, to be offensive, to have loose lips and just don't care what damage you do. But it does mean that you do have permission to be in action, to do the thing. At some point, possibly put your foot in your mouth and that's okay. 
But at that point, you make amends, you acknowledge what's happened, see where you can do it differently, and you keep moving. Mm-hmm. That's the necessity, being active. You cannot, this is not passive work. Erica, have you received any pushback for promoting this imperfect element of allyship? Good question. I have, it has not been brought to me. I'll put it that way. (laughs) I don't believe so. I think that I, if anything, I have more people that maybe it's that they're like, really? So, so you're really not going to shame me? You're not going to make me feel bad? Are you sure? So I think there's more of this, like, this seems so foreign of a concept that they're still almost expecting to get on a call with me and to get in trouble, almost like going to the principal's office. And I'm like, no, legitimately, (laughs) this is what's going to happen. So I have not had any pushback. The only pushback that I think maybe I've had is challenging people to step into imperfect allyship Mm -hmm. because there's just this apprehension of what happens when I get it wrong. But they're so worried about the what if that they can't worry about and be in the what now. And do you think that social media plays a big part of that hesitation? Because like if you were working with us to do the work and look at the hiring practices, I'm fine with with making mistakes and bumbling through it, but publicly I am not. Not that we would like post everything that we would do with you on social media, but you know, like that's where my fear comes from. So the challenge with it, at least from my point of view, is that there has to be enough dedication to being better that anything that could come up is not nearly as important as the goal. And so even though it can sometimes be difficult to think if I put this on social media, I don't know how this is going to happen or how this may play out or how it will be received. There's always going to be somebody that's not going to like it. There's always going to be somebody that wants to be vocal and to speak as if they are the mouthpiece of every person that they represent because of what they look like or where they work or, you know, kind of insert societal indicator here. That is a thing, and yet at the same time, social media has put itself in a place where it can sometimes be so toxic, especially when it comes to anything that is not easily palatable, that you have to really put the strongest backbone that you possibly have in place to not let that be the reason to discourage you. And for those of us that start our own businesses, you're you're going to fall. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. You're going to put money into something and it's not going to work. And so there has to be this reframe of how can this be another investment in myself and my business and my own mindset and the life that I want to lead and how I want to support others. This has to be a reframe of me investing in where I want to be. And it's possible that ROI is not going to always be as open and transparent. And so this is one of those things that you just have to know that as you stick with it, it will get better and it'll get, it will find its way to getting easier. Maybe not easy, but easier. 
Mm-hmm. Erica, what role, in your opinion, does call out culture play in this movement? <laughs> Small question. Easy. <laughs> so, from my opinion, there's a bit of there. There's two sides to that coin. I think, in some ways, in some ways, it is necessary because there are some people that have had actions that, before you had access to social media in this way, got away with things that were very detrimental to others, and there was no recourse. There was nowhere for anyone to go to acknowledge that this was wrong or to say this is not okay because, you know, it was done under the cover of shadow, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, there were things that I don't even want to say slipped through the cracks, but they never got kind of acknowledged that they weren't okay. And yet, at the same time, I don't like the idea that one action defines Mm -hmm. you for life. Because we speak so much about redemption as a culture. If you think about the prison system, the whole point is that someone goes in to come out different or better. But is that really what we mean? Because that isn't how we set people up. We don't really position them in a way that they come out and they are welcomed back in society as just as normal as everyone else and given opportunities to do things differently. And so sometimes what can happen is you do one thing and you're branded. And I don't agree with that. But where I see that it is sometimes an indicator of someone's true character, I'll call it, is what happens when you get called out? What do you do? Do you immediately begin to cover it up? Do you say, oh, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand? Do you try to, you know, victim shame or explain your way out of it? Or do you say, I screwed up and I apologize and I'm going to do my research and my work to figure out how I can do this better next time? And while I may not do everything publicly, please know that I'm doing my work personally and in cooperation with anyone that I've harmed to do better. I think that's a very different place than what I saw, I'll say, a few months ago, specifically in June with the, oh, well, that, that wasn't what I meant. You misunderstood me. Or, you know, there is a place to where it's like you explaining it doesn't change the harm that was done. And it doesn't take away what someone had to receive. So there has to be a place of allowing people to feel their feelings and for you to say, I have to do better. And I can acknowledge that maybe I don't know how, but I want to. When you work with somebody like a, like you said, a white female business owner, how do you, like, there's sort of two sides that I can see, like the personal work versus the company work. Can you deal with those two Mm -hmm. parts? Absolutely. And so that goes back to what I'd mentioned before about Mm -hmm. kind of the whole human piece. So when I work with people, and that's one of the reasons that I really like Voxer, because if we're working on, let's say, for example, you want to work on company culture or you want a DEI statement that's going to say what you're doing and what your give back efforts are, things of that nature. We can do things like that in Slack. We can work through things like that on the call. The personal side is where Voxer really comes in handy because when I have clients that are like, I had a family member that went to my website 
and saw that this is what I support. And this was how they came back. And I don't know how to navigate this. Or somebody that is in an interracial marriage and their daughter has hair that's maybe different than them. And them kind of feeling like this is more than just hair and I'm struggling how to navigate this. And kind of having that place to see where the parallels are of where life and business or the professional side really do often mirror each other. Because I don't think that you can do the business side and not do the personal piece. Because this is going to come up. People are going to feel how they feel about the choices that you make. They're going to want to tell you that it's not okay because you're going to lose business or people are going to assume certain things about you. And this is simply them giving you their own mirror of how they feel about themselves. But there's no way possible to leave those things on the table and think that it's going to work in your business. Because even though I'm a firm believer that you are not your business and that there should be a healthy differentiator there, I still think that you impact and influence what happens in your business. And so to not take care of you not only leaves the business in a vulnerable position, but it leaves you in this place of how are these things integrated? I'm going to just put this hat on and then take it back off because I'm a different person. Mm-hmm. in my business than I am in my life? No. It's about integrating this and figuring out how do I want to be different on all fronts? And it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I'm bad, but it means that just like anything else, what's the next best iteration of who I can be? How can that evolve? How can I see that I want to do more? And what does that look like for me? Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. I also would love, I in researching this, researching you, I've heard you explain tone policing with an example punched me in the gut. I would really love for you to explain that, tell that story to our listeners. Oh, I'm like, which which specific story? <laughs> well, just like that you you made it wasn't really sorry, it wasn't really a story, but it's just like what yes. what is it? And then the example of a battered woman. Yes. The comparison. Okay. So Tone policing is a term that I think has been very weaponized and it can sometimes be used a little bit out of context from my viewpoint. The main point is that very often people are told that they have to speak their mind. But using the example of me being a black woman, there are times that If I say something, sometimes someone can think that I didn't say it in a way that was palatable. I didn't say it kind enough. I didn't say it nice enough, or it was too aggressive. It was too strong. And so there's already the part of being a woman. And so our voice is already, you know, partially muted because of that. But then in being a Black woman, I've had times where it's like, well, did you have to say it that way? And tone policing is basically that whole point of view of, Well, you can say it, but you can't say it that way. And again, that's your tone, your volume. And people will sometimes perceive tone or volume being different because they don't like the message. And whenever that comes up, if someone is really like, well, you could have said it differently. In my head, the thought thought process is if a woman is being beaten by her partner and she is seeking help and she's like, I, I... I'm hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually, and I don't want to do this anymore. And 
you know, someone says, well, I mean, he's really not hurting you that bad. Is it, you know, and just this kind of questioning of, is it that bad? And it's just kind of like, well, if you wouldn't have a battered woman kind of in this place of, well, just deal with it. It's okay. It's just kind of like, well, that doesn't really work that way. Does that make sense? It's a, it's tough sometimes because it's like the message is the message. Thank you for explaining that. Cause I think like the image I have in my head when you, when I hear you say that story is like, if there is a woman who is being beaten by her, a man, and she's like angry and saying, stop. And people are like, well, just say that a little nicer. Like, just, can you be a little kinder to him and just ask nicely for him to stop? No. And right. And it's like, exactly. And so if you wouldn't ask for someone to be nicer about asking for physical safety in the context of domestic violence, why does it matter somewhere else? Because a lot of what we've seen, right. um, especially over the past few months, has been people literally saying, I want physical safety. And this kind of concept of, well, I mean, but ask nicely for it, then I'll maybe listen. Yeah. And that whole concept is just like, but I've done that. And I've tried tried a lot of different ways. And it doesn't seem that any of the ways are working. So therefore, you get what you get. So can you talk about 2020? Okay. <laughs> I just like this year has been, as we know, for everyone, a year like no other. I would just love to know personally, how are you coping? The work that you're doing is probably in huge demand. You're probably like, what has it been like for you? So I'll say for me, I am fortunate that as you asked that I don't have, I don't have a ton of trauma to dig back into, to be able to answer that. And I know that for some people, that isn't their truth. I have been fortunate to have not lost any family members to COVID. I've been fortunate that from a financial standpoint and like a health standpoint, overall mental health as well, those that I love and, you know, family has been safe. And so I just want to acknowledge where my privilege lies as well with that. And this is also me prefacing that privilege is not just about white privilege because often that's how it is kind of given. And privilege is just about you having something that you have easy access to when someone else doesn't. So that is something that for me, I've been very fortunate with. It's been challenging because of the fact that, of course, well, the kids are home and I have a six and an eight-year-old. So that in itself is tough. (laughs) Um, This you know, whatever, I don't even want to call this homeschool, but whatever this is, is not an easy thing for any of us. It just so happened that my messaging as far as being a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach and consultant has not changed. And yet life has changed this year. When things got tough, I think a lot of people were looking for help. Some people were reactionary and simply wanted the help because they felt like that was what they were supposed to do to not get in trouble, to not have cancel culture pop up, to not have social media say, oh, you're not doing anything. You're a terrible human. And so it showed that some people were not actually wanting to work with me or other people that do the work I do or anti-racism work because they truly wanted to. They did it because they felt like they were supposed to and it was the proper choice to make. And the benefit is that there were some people that really did want to do the work. 
that have come to me. And even after the initial wave in June kind of calmed down, people still come because these are the people that are like, yeah, I actually do want to do this. This isn't a fad for me. This isn't a momentary fix. And so people are having to look at things differently. And they're saying that I want support. I don't want to just read the books or stay in the passive courses. They want to actually work with someone and get that kind of personal touch. And so with that, it's been humbling to see how I can support people using my voice and simply being me, to be honest, because it's just me being me. And it just so happens that I have something that is of support (laughs) where we are in the world and has been for a while. But I mean, there are, there are definitely times where, you know, a few months ago, I would say back in June, it was a lot because again, there were some people that would try to put urgency on it. And if they couldn't get in immediately, it was almost like, you know, they, they wanted me to feel bad. And I wasn't willing to do that. And again, it just really pointed out what it looked like to have people that wanted to do the work versus, well, I'm supposed to. This is what I should do. I've been so fortunate to see people that are like, I really want to make changes. And I'm looking for support to make, make that happen. So that's been a beautiful thing to be a part of. Do you ever say... Like, I, I can't, you're not here for the right reasons. I can't work with you. I usually just don't ever offer to work with them in the beginning. <laughs> you know, before. Okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And so the, I, I have calls ahead of time with people. So there's not like right. a so can, go on the website, buy your service, because right. it's just as much for them to see if I'm a good fit. Yeah. Because you want to make sure that you're comfortable with me. Do you feel like you can be vulnerable? You can be open with me? Can you have tough conversations with me? But it's also for me to kind of see, is this a place where I, one, can I support you? Like, what, what do you actually want to do? What's your goal? But are you here because you want to make things better? Or are you just tokenizing me to say that you're working with me to get a pass? And I've had some people Mm -hmm. where that was kind of how it felt and I felt it right away. And so that's, again, talking about the whole chakra thing, like I immediately, like the energy was like, "Mm -mm -mm." no, 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 no. And I've learned to listen when that comes up and that intuition has, has served me well when it's not a good fit. Do you think, Erica, that things can change? Like with all the things we've been through collectively as a planet, more specifically in your country, the United States, are you hopeful? Yes, I have to be. And I actually am, but I have kids. And so I do what I do because I hope to leave the world better than what I found it. I hope to build something that they can navigate being all of who they are on a daily basis and figuring out how to use their voice to make changes in the ways that they see fit. I hope that people as a whole reconnect to what matters. And so if there was no hope, what would be the point? If there was no hope, there wouldn't be a need for what I do because I would just say, well, it doesn't matter because people aren't going to really do anything anyway. And so even if that's that kind of hopeful 
romantic part of me that's always just kind of trying to find the best pieces. That is what I have to hold on to. It buoys you in the most difficult of times. It gives you something to stay to steady you when nothing feels sure, nothing feels concrete, nothing feels consistent. And if that isn't 2020, I don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Living in uncertainty every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to move into Join Hustle, Jenny? Yeah, let's go ahead and move into Join Hustle. I have a lot to say about hope, but I think... I think you said it really well, Erica, and I'm inspired by that response. Okay. Well, we end every episode with our guests asking for you to share a joy and a hustle. So something that's bringing you joy in your life right now and a tool that can help our listeners hustle in their business that you recommend. Absolutely. So joy for me is conversation. Conversation is the catalyst for everything that I do every beauty that I can find in life, personally, professionally. It is the cornerstone of hope for me. With what I do, the conversation is what gives us a place to begin to learn more about each other and to humanize each other. And it's a huge part of where I really do think that it is possible for things to look and feel and be different. And hustle? Boxer. I love Boxer. <laughs> Boxer's a big one. And I just, I've heard it on here a few times. I'm like, I know it's a repeat, but it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. And because, again, it gives you that way to communicate effortlessly. You don't have to be connected to your computer. You just have to have your phone. And honestly, there's something powerful about having voice attached to it. Mm-hmm. There is context that can be lost in just text sometimes. That's right. And so I appreciate being able to have that. Here's my voice and this is what I have to say. (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally get it. And it's like in that moment, so I can totally see like working with you, it's like this thing happened, you just say it all and then you get to choose when you respond to it. But at least I've recorded what I needed to say in the moment and you can listen to it and respond to it. So yeah, Boxer is a great little tool. Spot on. You got it. That's exactly it. That you you just, you summed it up. I'm like, I'm going to have you write my sales copy next time. (laughs) (laughs) In the moment. Erica, where, I know you have a podcast, so I would love to hear about that, but where else can people learn more about you and connect with you? You can come on over to my website, which is ericacorday.com. You can learn a little bit more about me, some of the ways that you can work with me. As you mentioned, Sandy, my podcast is Pause on the Play. It is based on conversation. It is myself and my business partner, India Jackson. And with uh, Pause on the Play, you can come to the website, which is pauseontheplay.com. And you can also learn more about our community where we are having these sometimes challenging, but very necessary conversations. And we are doing it in community. We're here to support each other. I love it. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure to chat with you today. Same. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Sandy. And thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Erica. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. 
By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.